uh, from our series that uh, I was looking and thought, you know, I could kind of go any direction on our message, and then next week we're doing our State of the Church Address. Um, next week is uh, really a third year in a row where we've started out the year just focusing on what has God done and what is he leading us to, and because he's leading us, what does that mean we have to step up to and do ourselves? And we'll talk about that next Sunday. Next Sunday will be less of a teaching style and, and more of a just really a sharing thing, and we'll actually sharing time will be a bit extended as well, and so that's happening next week. Very important time for really everyone that calls Wendover Hills their home to join us. And even if you're new with us and you're just a little curious, what's this church all about? Next week is a really good Sunday uh, to, to hear about that as we work through that state of the church. Good time. Then we're going to start a series on the, the parables of the Bible. So if you've ever read the gospel and you know some of those passages that are like the kingdom of God is like type of passages or where Jesus is telling a story which compares something to something else. We're going to walk through those for eight straight weeks. And so I want to encourage you, uh, especially starting when we work, walk through the uh, parables, to make sure you have a Bible, that you bring a Bible along with you because we're going to really track through some chunks of scripture when we talk about those parables. Because what's pretty amazing is even though a story might be four or five verses, it's amazing how Jesus connects his stories with lots of other things in the Bible. And so we'll be looking at that. So make sure you bring your Bible uh, starting that week would be great. So but let's jump into this message. It's kind of a standalone, but I think it's really significant to the life of our church and what God is doing here. Elvis Presley, he was the king, right? However, according to his friends, he was an unfulfilled and an unhappy guy. He died of obesity and drug dependency at the age, the young age of 42. In an interview with his wife Priscilla, this is what she had to say about her husband. Elvis never came to terms with who he was meant to be or what his purpose in life was. He thought he was here for a reason, maybe to preach, maybe to serve, maybe to save, maybe to care for people. That agonizing desire was always with him, and he knew he wasn't fulfilling it. So he'd go on stage so he wouldn't have to think about it. You see, he felt like he was here to do something, right? But he just couldn't figure out what it was. Maybe you feel a lot like that in life. You know you're here for a purpose to do something, but you can't quite figure out what that is. Listen, I don't want to make the same mistake as him in my life, and I, I don't want you to make the same mistake as well. So I want to ask you a question this morning. Do you know your purpose in life? Have you ever asked yourself that question? A Barna survey found that one out of three adults in America, one out of three, felt like they were not living up to their potential. 6% said, I'm not even trying to live up to my potential. 26 say, I think I am to some degree. But interestingly enough, there was three categories that were most likely to say they're living up to their potential. Those over the age of 65 those who were practicing Christians, and those who were in the Bible continuously. Now, isn't that interesting that those three categories rated out the highest? So I want to come back to you and ask, do you know your purpose in life? The Bible says this in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. And actually, before I get into that verse, I should say, if you happen to get in here and didn't get any sermon notes, because we're going to start looking at those here, just slip up your hand and Richard's in back, and he'll, he'll bring you a set of those, and that would be great. Ephesians 2, chapter, uh, verse 10, says this, We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. In other words, all of us 
are created by God to make a contribution, not to consume. Let me say that again. God created each one of us to make a contribution, not to simply consume. What matters is not how long you live. What matters is how you live. It's not how long you live, but it's that legacy that you leave behind. How are you making a difference with this one life that God has given to you? How are you making a difference? Are you making any difference at all? You see, you and I, we weren't put here on earth just to take up space and to consume and to get a free ride out of life. We were put here to serve God, and the way we serve God is we serve other people. That's how we do it in the faith. You see, a lot of Christians will say, I really want to serve God, I just don't really like serving other people. It doesn't work. It doesn't match up. We can't do it that way. The way we serve God is we serve others. If you volunteer in any capacity here at Wendover Hills, big, small, doesn't matter, if you volunteer in any capacity, do you mind standing up for a moment? Yeah. Awesome. Can we thank them for their service? I didn't say to sit down. Dave Burnett, what are you doing? So... Yeah, we thank them for their service. Yeah, whether you know it or not, we have over 100 people who volunteer over the course of every month. Uh, these, these are people who are involved in significant ministries inside and out, and that doesn't count the teachers and, ch- and children's workers that are down the hall working with your kids right now. They've ba- basically decided that they're going to serve Jesus, and the way they're going to serve Jesus is they're going to serve us. They're going to serve others. That's what they've chosen to do. So how in the world, the question this morning, do we serve like Jesus? Because Jesus said the greatest in this world It's not the leader. It's not the boss, right? It's not the one that calls the shot. What did he say? The greatest is the one who serves. There's two or three ways I think we can serve like Jesus, and that's what we're going to look at if you have your outline and you want to follow along with me. Number one, serving like Jesus means being available. Yeah. One day Jesus was walking to Jericho, and some blind guys started to yell. Here's what the story says in Matthew 20. It starts in verse 30. It says this, two blind guys shouted, Lord, have mercy on us. The crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet. So the crowd, they're kind of embarrassed about these guys and just said, hey guys, shut up, be quiet. This is the Savior here, you know. But they shouted all the louder. Jesus stopped and called them, what do you want me to do for you? Will you circle the word stopped there in your notes? It is significant. Jesus stopped. He stopped. If you and I want to be used like God, then we're going to have to learn how to be stopped. We're going to have to learn that interruptions in life are God's way of leading us into service. Now think about it for a second. With Jesus, most of his ministry and most of his miracles, they're interruptions, right? I mean, think about it. The blind, the lame that he healed, these are interruptions. Think about his first miracle. This is a time where his family interrupted him to do his first miracle. His second miracle, he was interrupted on the way to Galilee. You see, often we think we have to do ministry by going like out of our way and doing significant or unique or come up with brand new forms of ministry, but that's not how Jesus did it. Rarely did Jesus go out of his way to minister to people. He just simply ministered to people along the way as his life intersected their life. Now, he had, a, he had a role that God had put on his life, and he was following that plan, but as people intersected his life, he served them. 
Proverbs 3.28 says this, Never tell your neighbors to wait until tomorrow if you can help them now. Now that's a dangerous passage for me to share because two sets of neighbors on my street are right here in church this morning. So uh, I've got to be careful. Don't wait. Difference makers don't procrastinate. They go after it right now. Difference makers, they look at God and they say, God, let's do this. And they jump into it. You see, a lot of times, I think we say this. We say, I would really like to make a difference for God. I would really like to. Yeah, I want to see God's power. I want to see his hand on my life. I want to serve people. But with the schedule that I've created, it's just impossible. I'm just too busy to do that. Philippians 2.4 says this, Each of you should look not only to your own interests, that's where we often get hung up, right? But also to the interest of, not, of others. What is the number one, the number one enemy of compassion and showing the love for Jesus Christ? It's really our busyness. It's our own self-centeredness. It's my schedule, my agenda, my plans, my goals, my ambitions, my schedule. I just don't have time. And eventually we say, so please just quit bothering me about it. A young man, listen to the story, a young man, a very successful executive, was traveling down a neighborhood street. He was driving his brand new Jaguar, uh, which is a lot like my Daewoo, if you're not familiar with the Jaguar. And he was going slow because the kids were darting in and out of traffic uh, in the neighborhood. He didn't want to hit any of the kids when suddenly a brick smashed into the side of his car. He slammed on the brakes, jumped out of his car, ran and found the little boy who threw the brick. He grabbed him, put him up against the car and said, what in the world are you doing? And the boy said, please, mister, I'm sorry, I didn't know what else to do. I threw the brick because no one would stop to help me. And with tears running down his face, the little boy pointed around the parked cars and said, it's my brother, mister. He, he fell out of his wheelchair, and I can't get him back up into it. Would you please help me get him back into his wheelchair? He's hurt and too heavy for me. Speechless, the young executive tried to swallow the lump in his throat. He lifted the little boy's brother back into his wheelchair, brushed him off, made sure he was okay, and then he watched as the younger brother pushed his older brother slowly down the sidewalk towards home. He turned and walked back to his car. It was a long and slow walk, as you could imagine. And he made a decision. He would never fix the dent in his car. He kept it as a reminder not to go through life so fast that somebody would have to throw a brick at me in order to get my help. Let me ask you, what in the world is it going to take for God to get your attention? Let's be open to divine interruptions that come along our path because God is more interested in your availability than he is your ability. Great businesses, great churches, they're not built on superstars. They're really built on willing stars, people that are willing to show up day in and day out and who are simply willing to make themselves available. Real servants, they don't mind being interrupted. Why? Because if you are a true follower of Jesus Christ, then you learn that your agenda is God's agenda. So when God says, look, I have this in front of you, it immediately becomes what is in front of you as well, and you find joy in it. So you wake up every day, and you say, God, what do you have in store for me today? Who do you have for my life to impact today? So I've got to be available. Secondly, serving like Jesus means we've got to be humble. We don't always like that part, do we? The Bible says, 1 Peter 5, 5, All of you clothe yourself in humility towards one another because God opposes the proud 
but gives grace to the humble. I think there's this twofold problem when it comes to serving with humility that we need to be aware of. Number one, we need to be aware of comparison. Do you ever do that, where you compare yourself to somebody else? We get into trouble when we begin to compare our ministry and our serving with somebody else's ability to serve and to minister in some other way. Because human nature kicks in, it's, it's called the devil, and we start to think about things in a, a negative light. We start to think uh, and look and say, well, I want to be up front more, when maybe that's not our gifting or our calling at all. I know for me personally, I really would like to get up and sing. <laughs> and play the guitar. But nobody will let me in the church, ever. They let me play a cowbell waltz once, but let's, let's face it, that was for a comedy sketch. It's not my gifting. It would be bad. It would be wrong. <laughs> so, but we're all gifted in a certain way, and we have to be aware of comparison. 1 Corinthians 15.58 tells us this, throw, away, throw yourselves into the work of the Master, confident that nothing you do for him is a waste of time and effort. Now, this is from the message translation, but I want you to circle the word nothing. Let me paraphrase that for you for just a second. Throw yourselves into the work of the masters, master confident that even the little stuff you do for him is not a waste of time and effort. In God's eyes, there really is no little service. Everything we do for God, for his kingdom, makes a huge difference. Listen to this story. Many years ago, two teen boys tried to come to a church service, and it was absolutely packed out. They couldn't find a seat anywhere. So they decided what any probably young boy would do is they decided they were going to leave and head out and do something else. But an usher was on the ball, and he ran up, and he grabbed the two young boys, and he said, whoa, 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 where are you going? And they said, it's, it's, there's no seat. It's too packed out. And he says, just wait a second. Hang on. I will find you a seat. And like a good usher, he looked around and he found them two seats, teenage boys, down in the front row. And he ushered them down in front of all the people and he set them in the front row. What are the boys going to do now? They have to go down with him. And they did and they went to the front and they said, set. That night, both of those teen boys accepted Jesus Christ and became Christians. And did you realize that the names of one of those teenage boys was Billy Graham? So let me ask you this. Who was more important that night? the preacher who shared the gospel, or was it the usher who took the moment to find them two seats? There's no insignificant ministry in God's kingdom. So let's not ever underestimate the little things you might do for the Lord and how you might be able to serve in our church and in his kingdom. Secondly, I think we've got to be aware of self-criticism. This is something some struggle with pretty hard because, you see, sometimes we swing to the entire other extreme and we just doubt everything. We, we think so lowly of ourselves. Here's what the Apostle Paul said, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. I want to say to you this morning, and make sure you hear it, that God doesn't make junk. Every single one of you sitting here, God has designed you perfectly to impact his kingdom. You were made by the Almighty God, and you were made to be a difference maker yourself. Remember in Exodus chapter 3, Moses was challenged by God to go speak to, to Pharaoh and, and to the Egyptians. Do you remember that story? And he felt really inadequate. This is what he said, God, not me. I can't speak. I'm no good. Please go find somebody else to do this task. And what did God say? What was his reaction? Moses, I'm, I'm so proud of your humble spirit. No, he didn't say that at all, right? He was ticked. Uh, he was angry at Moses. He was so angry at Moses because 
of his lack of faith. He said, I made you, and I know what you're capable of, Moses, so get up, suck it up, and go do it. That's what he told him. I want to tell you this morning and remind you, God doesn't make junk. So you are uniquely designed, and you're gifted, and you can do it as well. In fact, if you think you're unqualified to serve God, listen to some of the people that God used in his word. Just a brief list here. Abraham was old. Leah was unattractive, the Bible tells us. Moses stuttered. Rahab was immoral. Jeremiah was depressed. Martha was a worrier. Thomas had doubts. Jacob was insecure. Joseph was abused. Gideon was poor. Elijah was suicidal. Peter was impulsive. The Samaritan woman had five failed marriages. That's a lot even in our day-to-day. Paul had bad health. One of my kids read that and said, Paul had bad breath? I said, no, no, health. He had bad health. Oh, maybe he had bad breath. I don't know. But God used them all, and that means that God can use you. He really can. He can use you. Years ago, uh, Bud Wilkerson, who's the coach of University of Oklahoma football, uh, he, you know, one of the most phenomenal coaches, won three national titles and, and uh, 48, uh, 47 game winning streak. Uh, he was asked one time, even though he was a college coach, he was asked one time about the impact of professional sports. And they basically said, what do you see as the contribution does professional sports make in the physical fitness of America? Here's what he said. Very little. <laughs> a professional game is a happening where 50,000 spectators who desperately need exercise sit in the stands and watch 22 men on the field who desperately need rest. And if we're not careful, that describes the church. Many people coming here who desperately need the spiritual exercise of service and a few people that are just exhausted from serving all the time. That's why everyone is needed to serve. Christianity is not a spectator sport, and the truth is, all of us need that form of spiritual exercise that comes from service. So if you want to learn to be like Jesus, we have to make ourselves available. We have to be humble. And the third is, serving like Jesus means that we are faithful. Now, being faithful, I think that's a word that's maybe lost its meaning in our culture today. When we talk about a faithful marriage, I'm not sure we have a good understanding of what a faithful marriage really means. And so the word faithful has somewhat lost its meaning as it's meant in the Bible So what does it mean to be faithful? It means simply you don't give up. You don't quit. You don't stop. You keep going. You don't quit in the middle of your assignment. You push all the way to the finish. At the end of Jesus' ministry on earth, he said uh, in John 17, he's talking to God. It's a famous prayer, and this is what he says. I brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave to me. Now, circle the word completing. That's an important word. In fact, that may be the word that you need to go home and just memorize and embed in your head because you're struggling to step off something that God has called you to do. You see, the world today is often so impressed with how people start. That does not impress God at all. God is impressed on how you finish things. God wants to see how you're going to carry it out. How are you going to finish That's the life of Jesus Christ. He didn't give up. He didn't give up in the Garden of Gethsemane. He didn't give up during the beatings. He didn't give up when he was nailed to his cross and his disciples deserted him. He was faithful and he finished the work that God gave to him. In fact, one of the final phrases that he said in his life was, it is finished. His work. In powerful words. 
And if you and I are going to be like Jesus, it means we're going to have to serve as long as we are alive. Listen carefully to this. You can retire from your job. You can quit your job. But there is no such thing in Scripture as retiring from serving Jesus Christ. It doesn't exist. And so we do that as believers on and on all the days of our lives. Have you ever wondered why God brought you to Windover Hills? Let me tell you why. So, is that okay if I tell you? Well, doesn't matter if it's not. I'm going to tell you. You're here because God knew you had something to give back to his kingdom. That's really the kind of church that we are. That's what we do. We give back and we serve his kingdom. He didn't bring you here to sit and soak and take. He brought you here to serve and to make a difference in people's lives. Do you remember that old uh, Footprints poem that you might have read over the years about God carrying in the footprints? you remember that? You see it on calendars and stuff like that and posters. Well, here's another author's kind of take on this classic poem. It says this, One night I had a dream. One set of footprints there was seen, the footprints of my precious Lord, but mine were not along the shore. But then some stranger prints appeared, and I asked the Lord, What have we here? Those prints are large and round and neat, but, Lord, they are too big for feet. My child, he said in somber tones, for miles I carried you alone. I challenged you to walk in faith, but you refused and made me wait. You disobeyed, you would not grow. The, the walk of faith you would not know. So I got tired. I had it up to here, and then I dropped you on your rear. Because in life there comes a time when one must fight and one must climb, when one must rise and take a stand, or leave their butt print in the sand. <laughs> Not quite what you were expecting, was it? Thinking warm and fuzzy and beautiful and shoreline and hit you with a little zinger. I think that's what God thinks. It really is. God says, he looks at us, and when we don't want to serve, he says, are you a part of this family or not? Uh, is, this, is this what you're a part of? Look, I know what some of you are thinking. You just saw everyone stand up. You see it when you come in, and you think, man, they have so many people serving here. I mean, the church runs about 165, 170. They have over 100 serving. They really don't need anyone else. But the truth is, nothing could be farther from the truth, that there will never be too many people to serve to meet the needs that we come into contact with here in our church. In fact, I think there'll, there'll always be more needs to be met than people who are willing to get off their seat and to serve. The truth is, the more people God brings into the ministry, the more there needs there are to serve. But here's, this is equally true. I want to make sure you hear this. The more who step up and serve, I believe the more people that God will entrust in our ministry as well. So what's the takeaway this morning? How do I decide where to serve would be the question. In just a few minutes when we finish service, you'll notice a set of tables back here that has many service opportunities out there. Now that's not every area of service at our church, but those are some back there that we're always in immediate need of people to step up and to serve. And so when we're done here, there's a great opportunity to go right away and get involved in serving. I would love to see many names on each of those sheets as we finish off today. But how do I decide where to serve? Well, I think you probably just have to ask yourself four questions that I think everyone who serves has asked themselves at some point in time. So here's these four questions. Number one, what do I do naturally? Those are my gifts. 
what I do naturally. The Bible says in 1 Peter 4.10, each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others. In other words, what were you born to do? How are you designed? Some of you are just gifted naturally in some areas that others of us are not. You might just have a natural, warm personality and a great with opening conversation. That's a great greeter, usher type of person. For others of you, I mean, you're petrified, scared to death of people. Greeter may not be the best uh, service area for you. Some of you are organized. Some of you are geared to be behind the scenes. Some of you up front. And some of you are gifted to teach. And some of you are gifted to speak. And the list goes on and on. What do you do naturally? So, first of all, we look at what am I good at. Secondly, what have I learned to do? Those are my abilities. Now, there's this ongoing debate. And the debate is whether leadership is something you're born with or is it something you've learned. And I believe some of it comes from birth, but most of it is learned. And so leaders develop their skills and their abilities. Now, I'm blown away sometimes at Wendover Hills by the people that have chosen to serve and the gifts that they have. And those are, those are skills and ability that they've learned along the way and they use for the kingdom. Mike Leonard comes to mind. Um, as much as he has an eye for seeing things and, and picture taking, he wasn't born being able to shoot the button and point the camera in the right direction. He's learned that skill set. And last week, if you watch the video and if you haven't, it's on YouTube, um, we, we had the opportunity to see that gifting in place to watch a video that showed one of the service areas that we did over the last five weeks. That's what I'm talking about, your abilities and your skills that we use for his kingdom. Here's the third question. What do I enjoy doing? That's my passion. Romans 12:11 says this, never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord, what? Enthusiastically. In other words, when you choose to serve, what is it that makes your heart beat a little faster? What do you like doing and love to plug in and what would you find a joy in serving? Because if it's your passion, then it's pretty hard to turn to God and say, God, I'm really burned out on this ministry thing. <laughs> because our passion should be there as well. In question four, what needs to be done? You see, sometimes we have to ask ourselves this question, even juxtaposed to the three previous questions we just asked. Because simply, this is my responsibility. There are some times when a true Christ-like spirit, you just say, you know what? What needs to be done? Just tell me what needs to be done, and that's what I'm going to do. Whether my gifts and passion line up or not, if that's what the kingdom of God needs, if that's what we need done around here to reach people and impact people's lives, then I'm going to do that thing. I'm going to fill in that need, and I'm going to take care of it. We had a couple men when I first came to the church three years ago who were down serving in the kids' ministry program. And, uh, and to look in the door and to watch them serve, you could tell there was a little bit of awkwardness going on. The kids loved them, but they were trying to figure out every moment what they were doing. Um, and we were too, basically, trying to figure out what they were doing. Um, but why were they in there? Well, one of them I asked one time, and he said, it's needed. I have kids, and it was needed, so I chose to plug in and serve here. And he did that faithfully for a long time. Sometimes we just say, what needs to be done, I will step up and do that ministry. Now, you might have noticed, I put this in an example, that uh, we don't have a teen Sunday school class. Did you notice that around here? Why? In fact, we've had a couple families over the years that have come and they've not returned because we don't have a teen Sunday school class. We have a teen youth program on Wednesday nights. Here's why. 
Because 95% of our teens serve in our kids' program at least one Sunday morning a month. What are they doing down there? They are learning their responsibility. They're learning their abilities, and they're learning how to own their impact in this church by being down there serving in our program. And let me face it, they are so, so good at it. Uh, some of them, I just wish they were older so that new folks coming in would you know, be comfortable leaving their kids with just them because they're phenomenal at what they do down there. Well, you know, I started this message by talking about Elvis. Here's a curious fact about Elvis Presley. The only a Grammy Award he won for an album out of 250 million albums sold was for a religious album he recorded called He Touched Me. And a song on that album expressed what I've been talking about this morning. It says this, After the lightning and thunder, after the last bell rung, I want to bow down before Jesus and hear him say, Well done, my son. He is my reason for living. He is my king of kings. I long to be in his procession, for he is my everything. Let me ask you the question again. What difference are you making with the one life that you've been given by the Almighty God? What do you need to change up in your schedule and in your priority to make an impact in his kingdom? What is it? What reason or excuse have you offered or you've made yourself believe on why you can't serve in his ministry, whether here at Windover Hills or just in your life in general. Mark Twain said this, 20 years from now, you'll be more disappointed by the things you didn't do than by the ones you did. When it comes to serving your church, when it comes to serving others, and when it comes to serving God, ask yourself, what is keeping you from being all in? One day, Napoleon pointed to a map of China, and he said, there lies a sleeping giant. If it ever wakes up, it'll shake the world. I believe with all my heart, I really do, that Wendover Hills is a sleeping giant. And that if we were to all wake up, if we were to all step up, if we were to all go all in, we would shake this city. Do you believe that as well? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for what you do through the lives of people who serve. And Lord, there might be just a, a group of people that serve every week, and Lord, they just need to feel a little blessing for their service and, and know the impact. Lord, I'm just going to pray that in front of this congregation right now for blessing for people that serve. And Lord, this morning, I know that you might stir in the heart of somebody who's not serving now, or maybe who's somebody who's just, just doing a, a something, something that they know you've called them to do something greater. And Father, I just pray this would be the morning that they would say yes to that and start a new year focusing on serving serving you and serving others right here at Wendover Hills. Lord, you know the great need we have for children's workers and for, for ushers and greeters, set-up team and tear-down team. So, Father, I just pray you would stir the heart of everyone in this congregation right now, that we would all walk out committed to serving you in this new year. And then, Lord, as we said in our message, would you entrust us to more and more people who would come into our doors so that we might serve them. And then, Lord, as we talk about next week, as we put our theme out there for the whole church next week, that we are to go out of these doors and to serve every day of the week. And so, Lord, enlighten us to all of it, we pray. In your Son's name, amen. So at the back table on your way out, there's uh, some, some places to sign up and, for service. Let me share with you